Hey, welcome to this episode of Symposia Disney. As our one listener will remember, we were once talking about princesses and princess movies and how those have evolved in the Disney canon. But we wanted to focus on Disney princes this week and especially the the changing, shifting ideas of masculinity that we see throughout the Disney movies. And, you know, that reflects the greater society. But that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is Liz and Liza and Danica. And yeah, we're talking masculinity, but specifically masculinity of Disney princes today. So does anybody want to start? Obviously, we have the early Disney movies where the princes are kind of little more than a cipher, mm-hmm. right? They're just there or where the prince comes in and like saves everybody. And you're like, ooh, that's cool. Right. Um, and then we do have the 90s where princes get a little more agency especially in the movie aladdin although again he doesn't become a prince until the end it's the whole tiana thing um and finally now i would say in the last 12 or so years we've really seen princes who are kind of much more fully characterized um starting with in my head tangled And Flynn Rider, but really even moving from there, because, of course, at the end of Tangled, Flynn kind of still acts upon Rapunzel by cutting her hair and not allowing her to do things. And yet then we go to Frozen, where it's like, "Mm -mm, that's not how this gets done anymore. Moana, uh, Raya now. So, yeah, do we uh, what are our thoughts? Do we want to do this chronologically? Like, how are we thinking it? Well, I was thinking, um you know, I don't think like we don't have to go through all the movies, but just thinking about like the prince in Cinderella and who does like, you know, the father figure, the father, like the king is kind of this like jovial man who's got like an agenda and he really just wants like grandkids, which, you know, I think like, I mean, that's all I want to, everybody wants like grandkids, right? It's a, that's a, that's everybody can relate to that. And yet the character of the prince, right, is very much this like cardboard character. And I think that one of the, sort of Disney um, paranoias throughout their animation history is that, you know, boys can't relate to princess movies, right? And while there's a ton of, um, you know, misunderstandings about gender, even in that statement, one of them is, I think the most obvious is that maybe it's because all of these characters who are princes like suck, right? They're like, what, what about them? Would you look at that character and think like, like if, you know, if, if within Disney's logic, you can only identify with somebody of the same gender as you, um, why would you identify with, with any of these people? And I remember the first time I was at Disney world, um, talking, talking to, uh, Snow White, I think, (laughs) And I was like, you know, if we, if you're, you know, who's, you're, are you married to Prince Charming? And she was like, no, I'm married. No, maybe I have this backwards. One of them is married to either Cinderella or her. One of them is married to the prince. And the other one is married to Prince Charming. Mm -hmm. So when we've, you know, talked about a little bit in our earlier princess episode about sort of these, these sort of flat princess characters that we could, you know, um, put ourselves into, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And our imagination, like, oh my goodness, like the, the, the princes, the princes don't even really have, have that ability because why would you want to be 
this this sort of not you're not even, they're not even swashbuckling or anything. Right? No, <laughs> they just seem to be like this kind of walk on characters. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then and so I, I mean I can't think of anybody who's a love interest in a Disney movie before Tangled, where I think like this is somebody with like you know subtlety and and depth, right? right. And right. Uh, you know. Um, because I think of like the beast, um, there's, I, I don't know, there's a whole lot, you know, I don't, obviously people are like, I, you know, children are like, I identify with that guy. <laughs> and then you have, you have Gaston who, um, you know, is, uh, you know, is a, I think, um, probably somebody who is, doesn't believe in consent. <laughs> right and I think sing songs about it um we have prince so we're through the renaissance we have prince eric right right who again is sort of this a cardboard person who is just like you know she doesn't right. talk okay. yeah I mean even in the in the movie itself when she's sort of swimming around the the statue I mean like of eric like it's just sort of like yeah that's what he is he's just yes. a face <laughs> in well, concrete and that's the thing, because in Little Mermaid, you're like, I don't understand why you would give up this awesome mermaid life to be with this person that you know nothing about other than he is attractive. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. She thinks he's attractive. And that's why it's also it's, you know, she's 16 in the movie. And there's the whole thing about how she's a grown up and all of this. And she gets to make her own choices. And part of me is like, honey, this is why 16-year-olds shouldn't make their own choices on who they spend the rest of their life with because yes. you saw a, a cute boy and you're like, this is it. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, no. And and with the Beauty and the Beast, he doesn't even have a name. He's the Beast. And I know later on, you know, fanfic or Disney later on, we're like, oh no, his name is Adam. But you had to come up with that after. He never gets called Adam in the movie. No. So yeah, it's this whole thing where... The Disney movies, I mean, they're fairy tales. Fairy tales were intended for people of all genders. Like fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales were not just told, myths. Like all of those things in any culture, they were never like, okay, everybody put all those who identify as girls in one room and everybody else in the other room because we're only going to tell these stories to girls. Like it wasn't like, you know, the way some people do sex ed, which is oddly not how my Catholic school did sex ed. We did it, everybody in the same room. But that's how they do it. But that's not how myths were. Right. So then why do we have these idea that, that princess movies are only for girls and that for so long, for about 50 years, we didn't give, there were no people in that movie that if you wanted to, again, with the whole problem of gender, but if you wanted to identify as a masculine boy, we were like, well, then you can't like those because, and we don't even give representation in them <laughs> for you to identify as a masculine boy I think if we go back to our first episode on princesses, I said I never even played princess games because I don't really identify as like a very feminine girl. And that's kind of what I saw in these movies. And so what did I play? I played Star Wars in my head where I, you know, fought against Leia. So um, I do think that they give a weird sort of idea, but I don't, and I don't really blame Disney for it so much because again if we go back to fairy tales throughout any culture they're never one gender intended so I'm not sure why we as maybe an American society I mean I guess 
by the 1950s when everything was like cookie cutter gender as much as you could, but I don't get why we ended up in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think uh, as I was thinking of this and ch- chatting with my sisters a little bit, this topic, um, we mentioned Prince Eric and sh- sort of tried to deconstruct like, well, what, what are they doing there with, with him? And I totally agree. Like her crush on him is, is sort of shallow, but there were a, a few things about him that I remember growing up, you know, s- talking with my mom about, and she's like, okay, well, they're at least developing a t- him a tiny bit more than he than Prince Charming and the Prince, yeah, and and Prince mm-hmm. Philip. My favorite scene is Kiss the Girl, and I always thought that was yes. just so I just loved it. And he was trying to guess her name, and I, I always thought that that left a big impression on me. Like he's like, I want to know her name, you know, I want to know. Like she can't talk. So the whole myth of the Little Mermaid with the voicelessness is is so interesting in terms of if you know princesses, but also I think they do a, a decent job with Eric. Like, well, I, I want to know more about her, even though she can't talk. So that I give them a little credit for that. <laughs> okay. I give them credit for Eric. I still not sure I give them credit for Ariel. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm just in my head. I'm like, why are you giving this? Up? But again, remember, I have the problem with Belle where I'm like, why did you fall for the first guy you met? Like, yeah. other than Gaston. I know. Okay. So she met Gaston, but I'm just like, right. I don't know. I guess I think but then that, maybe yeah. I'm not their target audience because even though I'm a woman and I identify, I'm a cis woman and I identify as a cis woman that I don't know. Like, again, I enjoyed them. I loved the songs. I can mm-hmm. still sing all the songs, but it's not, I didn't really see myself reflected in yeah. any of them in any way. I think it was, a, it was definitely an, an evolution, but not definitely not a, a win, you know? <laughs> yeah. Terms, yeah. Yeah. So like, would you say then that it's, um, Tangled where we see like a first, the first one, the first sort of prince or print or, romantic figure in a princess movie who's who has like this sort of I think Aladdin in 91 is a good example of you know a prince who's developed mm-hmm. but then until like the more recent movies I did I think I think Princess and the Frog and Naveen come out before Tangled but I'm about to google that while we're talking yeah. so yeah. everybody I think that is yeah. true because Tangled was like yeah. in, the, in the 3D mode mm-hmm. and and print well, I also think that that Aladdin should be called Jasmine, <laughs> right? That they that they did the thing that they do with with Tangled, where they're like and Frozen, where they're like, so it's not specifically a princess movie, right? So that we can more people will come right. if they think that there's not uh, if it's not just about a, a young woman's journey. Yes. So yeah. Um, so Princess and the Frog came out in 2009 and Tangled comes out in 2010. And also, so with Aladdin, because I did the the footnoting history episode on Aladdin, like in the fairy tale, the princess um, is barely touched. Like she's cute. Right. Um, you know that Aladdin spied on her when she was like going into the baths and everybody was supposed to close their eyes and all these different things. So you know that Aladdin yeah, like okay. finds her cute, but they don't really know each other. She's not fleshed out. She's the prince. She's that cipher, right? right. In the actual story. But then um, in the movie, 
they give Jasmine a whole story. So yeah, it is one of those things where I think they called it Aladdin because that's the original name. Hmm. But Jasmine becomes a figure. So actually, you could even say that that's not only that they made Aladdin the male figure fully characterized, but they made the love interest fully characterized. Yeah, as opposed to other films. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, though, because they could have recut and reframed that whole movie to to oh, lead with Jasmine. and Because her her story of, of wanting to escape and, like, her line when I, I think my sisters and I used to say this all the time when we were 12, like, I am not a prize to be won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we just, like, ran with that. I just loved that. It just was, like, empowering. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I, yeah, I agree. Have you guys seen the live action um, Aladdin? Yeah, I that one is very Jasmine focused. Yes, and she has a song like um, "I Will Silence" or "I Will Not Be Silenced." Oh, that's um, yeah. My husband and I had really low ex like, and I don't mean this in like a harsh way, but we were just like we had low expectations for mm-hmm. I think any of the any of the live action. We were not going into any of this, and then we watched uh, the live action Aladdin. And we turned to each other about 30 minutes in and we were like, we were wrong. Like, this is excellent. This There was no reason to have low expectations because this is amazing. They did it really well. They made it its own movie and that Jasmine song and just furthering her as a person. Yeah. Were, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. I haven't seen it yet. So I, that could be on my list to see. It was Okay, well, now I'm going to tell you to have low expectations just because I think it made it even better, but <laughs> it was it was really well done. But yeah, I mean, those movies that my kids like watch like eight times in like three weeks, you know, where it's just like, let's just put it in Aladdin again. It's just, oh, okay. really, it's fun, a f- really fun movie. Yeah. Okay. So I think moving to the princess and the frog. Yeah. I think that's also, and that actually, if we put it with Tangled, because both movies have the male protagonist start off as maybe the not greatest guy, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And then through a journey with the female protagonist, learn a lot of things about themselves and about being selfless, which I'm not saying people out there that that happens in 24 hours because that's what Disney, it's no. Right. But, but they do have those very similar journeys where at the end of the movie, they are willing to sacrifice, you know, Naveen's going to sacrifice his happiness, his whatever Mm -hmm. to do that and give Tiana her dream. And Flynn will sacrifice his life to free Rapunzel from the evil queen. So I do think those movies, I think definitely give that idea of a much more well-rounded male character who has his own story arc, Mm -hmm. right? Like both Naveen and Flynn, Eugene, dogs but yeah i think i i really like those i am those characterizations yeah that's a good way to put that in and group them together i think and i i do love both of those characters like they they end up you know earning a place in your heart Mm -hmm. by the end unlike prince charming and prince (laughs) well and i think what's really interesting and tangled um is that uh, Flynn Rider, right? Every, his whole, he, he's trying, he creates his, this, his perfect masculine, masculine character, right? Right. And Flynn Rider, he's got the, you know, the hair that's it's yes. so amazing. And then there's that moment where, you know, she uh, ties him to a chair or, you know, Rapunzel ties him to a chair and everything. And she's like, 
And he's like, okay, I guess, I guess I have to smolder now. (laughs) I love that. That's my favorite part of the movie. (laughs) It's so good. And so even though we have, um, uh, like, cause she has no concept of what happens in the outside world, right. Of what is attractive, what is, you know, what is considered attractive masculinity. She's just like, she kind of goes a little cross-eyed. Like, she's like, what, <laughs> like, what's, what's happening right now? Like, why, why is he doing this? And then, you know, and it, and then, and then it really broadens, right. Because then we have, um, that whole, he takes her to like this biker bar in an attempt to intimidate her. And every single one of these like really, you know, intimidating bikers is like, I have a dream. (laughs) You know, like one wants to be a piano player, another one wants to find true love. Like, you know, it's the best. And he, so Flynn is always trying to depend upon this very conventional masculinity. And actually he keeps getting, it keeps getting undermined because of um be- because it, it's it's so con- it, it, it doesn't exist right right and the you know the big sword scene is between him and the horse where this the horse is carrying a sword and he has a frying pan and he's like this is the craziest fight i've ever been in i you know i feel like i like flynn so much better than i ever have until right at this moment like, I'm i mean like, you're I'm unpacking this so brilliantly right now like <laughs> never occurred to me that rapunzel of course has no concept right. of feminine or masculine right. or what's attractive or anything and so that's literally flynn wins her over eventually by being kind which is like the whole other thing right and that's like that is what she understands she's been raised by a manipulative horrible person this whole time and so someone is actually like i am being kind to you and she's like oh that's attractive all of these um you know tongue-in-cheek moments that's poking fun at like the constructs of masculinity Mm -hmm. and gender and romance yeah (laughs) well and i think because i really believe that i i like tangled more and more and i mean i've Uh seen it i don't know 70 million times but the um, is I think the one false note in it is where Rapunzel, where her mom sort of come, is, you know, comes out of the shadows and was like, Rapunzel, come back with me. Is that is that Rapunzel is like, you know, no, I don't want to do that because I'm on this adventure and I think that this guy kind of likes me. And that to me is like the moment where it's like, eh, like the record kind of scratches a little bit because I don't think that that's while she might be feeling some of these emotions or whatever for her to use that as an as equal to wanting to see the lanterns exactly mm-hmm. really strikes me as as pretty as pretty false mm-hmm. um yes and uh you know you know I, I, it's a it's a Anna, it's a, it's fine right. <laughs> right but i think by the time they get to like anna like they've moved past that kind of writing or that kind of misstep mm-hmm. yeah yeah well especially when um so when we're in and that's another thing because Kristoff doesn't really Hans is really well developed, but Kristoff doesn't have to do that kind of character arc, right? Like Kristoff is a good person, Mm -hmm. socially awkward, smells a little like, you know, his animal, but he is a good person and he kind of remains that type of person. And all he really has to learn is how to be a little more um, open, I guess, emotionally. Yes. Right. But that's really it. He's not a bad person. And so, and Naveen and I would say Flynn. They're not morally bad people. They're just, they're just, uh, you know, and, and again, that's a subtlety that has been lacking in, in previous depictions Mm -hmm. of of men. 
Exactly. Nice. And then you get to Kristoff and no, you find out, well, he was raised by trolls. So obviously he has some sort of tragic backstory because we know from when he was a little child, he didn't have like a human family who was yeah. raising him. Um, he always had Sven, right? So we're not sure why he's raised by trolls. The trolls have tried to help him. He's working on getting used to being fully back in, in human society. But he also, he doesn't require the, um, the story arc where he has to become a good person. He just has the story arc where he's falling in love with Anna. And that's, that's almost like the, the reverse story arc of everything else where we've never seen the prince beyond like, Hey, you're cute. And I just danced with you in the ballroom, mm -hmm. fall in love with the princess. But over a movie, we watch him fall in love. And while Anna does have feelings for him, she's not really focused on falling in love because she's trying to save Arendelle and she thinks she's in love with somebody else. So we're literally watching his journey of love right. where she's like, yeah, 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 that's cool and all. And even in the second movie, he tries to propose throughout the entire movie. And she's like, uh-huh, I have other things to do. <laughs> and it's it's this very... Um, this rev this inversion reversion I don't know of of what we see in the earlier movies. Yeah, I, I love this so much. Like I think, um, you know that really thinking about Kristoff now the that moment where because it's first Elsa who's who's like Anna you can't marry somebody you just met right like, <laughs> like you know kind of a shocking moment in Disney history right oh my because God. everybody's getting married to people An they just met another exactly <laughs> another tongue-in-cheek like right she's just like and she's like the way she says it is so tired yes you know like it's just like like what like, you know like kind of like where you're just like no you can't like you can't have your cake before dinner right. you know like it's just like that's not that's how any of this works um but then but even but 12 hours later right Kristoff is going to repeat the exact same thing to 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 Anna and say like you can't you what you're going to marry somebody you just met mm -hmm. and what do you know about true love? And he's like, well, actually, like I, I was raised by the love trolls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you see like, yeah, when they, when they come out, the trolls, like they have, they model, you know, healthy, open communication relationships, you know, like he, he's, he has a leg to stand on. Well, but also I have a friend who has always long loved their fixer upper song, right? Because it's not this idea that you're going to meet someone, fall in love with them and then live happily ever after. The trolls are being very honest. Like you guys are going to both have to work on some things. Here's some <laughs> issues that Kristoff has. Just, just be aware of that. If you think beyond that, that's good. Um, you know, this might not be therapy worthy level, but just you gotta know that this is what you're coming into. And it's like, oh my God, that's, yeah, that's life. You gotta know you're coming into this. Which I think also because Hans in that movie, you know, says that it was super easy to get Anna to fall in love with him because she was so love starved, which yeah, right. I mean, and that's, that's a big Disney motif. The same thing you would think Rapunzel doesn't fall in love with Flynn, even though she's kind of love starved, manipulated until a bit into it. But Anna does. And yet after that, after that, like really negative experience with Hans, even though she knows she loves Kristoff, the second movie takes place two years later and they're still not even engaged. 
Yes. Like, it's like, yeah, I had that whole relationship where I fell in love with somebody in five minutes and now I'm taking it incredibly (laughs) slow. Right. She's not going to make the same mistakes. Well, because I don't, and I would, I would probably argue because what, you know, frozen, which is like, you know, about the, the true love is the love between sisters, right? Sisterhood. And so once, once she has that relationship with Elsa, she doesn't feel a lack, you know, mm-hmm. that she's trying to fill. Exactly. And which is why we get the great, like, where they're in Frozen 2 and they're playing, like, charades, like, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's it's so banal, like, yes. which is what, again, re- you know, relationships are. Yes. Um, and uh, and that they have this like family relationship, like the right. Elsa, Elsa, Anna, Kristoff, and mm-hmm. Sven and Olaf are are a family, right? Um, which then is explored in the, the Christmas Olaf movie, where they realize <laughs> many family traditions. But <laughs> but I do, think, yeah. And then and then in Frozen Two, you get Kristoff's like. Um, Air supply ballad. Oh, yeah. I was I was gonna say, can we please talk about Lost in the Woods? <laughs> Which is a revelation. It's like another Disney moment that just made my jaw drop. Like I was like, this is insanely amazing. Insanely amazing. <laughs> and, and he's singing, he's you know, just the the imagery and the you know archetypal like ironies in it you know like a man lost in the woods in a fairy tale like I mean it's just the best you know and and then like to make it this like awesome air supply ballad and and they cut they like storyboarded it that way too you know like it's just like an 80s video like it's just amazing and he has like the Anna like mirage that appears and then disappears (laughs) it's so but, but it's so it's, it's like such a um i think a reflection of like current you know masculinity questions or you know like the crisis of masculinity that's happening and like you know that disney movies or animated movies like are implicated in causing or at least or at least um perpetuating you know mm-hmm. so it's just great who so who in frozen 2 are the other like male characters that we get. Mm-hmm. But basically we have, you know, Anna and Elsa's grandfather who's mm-hmm. destroyed a people, <laughs> right? And, and and thus has caused all of this, um, all this anarchy or chaos and the sin against the land, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That, that Elsa and Anna have to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then we have, so, so that's the, that's the Hans, right? That's right. the, is this just just evil, right? Because um, I think there's always that kind of part of me that's ha- is like, why? Actually, why did Hans have to kill Anna? Like, why couldn't <laughs> he? Like, you know, couldn't he just like married her? But he he's evil. Like, he's a he's right. he's mm-hmm. he's absolutely bad, right? right? So he has to you know kill her because he wants he doesn't want any sort of claim that doesn't make him ultimately powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we see again with with Anna and Elsa's grandfather, right? Right, Is that they want to, he wants to, to destroy this people. So there isn't any concern that there'll be any like other claim against, against their, against Arendelle. Um, And and so it's that that same sort of, uh, that same sort of power exists. Right. Um, And then sort of conversely, we do get a couple minor characters 
like the um the the sergeant or the yeah uh, the general captain Matthias yes right and he's like he's been in love with this woman the whole time and at the end we see them together and there's actually a couple like like couples that that pop up that clearly like sort of adore each other in these ways that is totally conventional right, right like it's right. not nothing about it is these these big romances um and uh well, and then we have um, the the boy who is part of the indigenous group that they yeah. go to, who shows Kristoff yeah. how to propose yes. in that way. And they set up, you know, they get out everything and they, so yeah, there are these ideas. And I love it because the boy who does it, who's like, okay, this is how, and he's probably a teenager, but in my head, I don't know, everybody looks like 10 now. I um, think they, he's also named Ryder. So we have a lot of writers. Oh, they really enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. So, but he, you know, when Kristoff is like, oh, I need to figure out a way to propose. He's like, oh, I got this. Like, there's nothing like, oh, it's like, I got you. I got you, man. Let's go. We're going to do this elaborate love thing and it's going to be great. And there's no mockery of like, which especially if we're going with like time period and stuff like there's no like, oh, just ask her, just pull a Gaston. No, it's like, okay, let's get this going. And of course, you know, eventually it's like, he just asks her, but the the most romantic characters are men. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. And then at the end when Anna's just like, I need to get to the bridge and Kristoff doesn't say like, oh, let me do that for you or whatever. He's just like, okay, hop on. I'll get you to the bridge. He doesn't ask her what she needs to do. He doesn't ask what she's going to do. He doesn't say, can I do it for you? He just says, hop on. I'll get you to the bridge. And did you guys ever hear um, Kristen Bell talk about that moment? No. I mean, but that moment shook me because I was expecting him to say why. Yeah. Yeah. Even if he was going to be supportive, I was still expecting the why. And instead he just so absolutely trusts Anna's judgment, which is kind of funny given frozen one, but he's so I absolutely trust on his judgment that he's just like, hop on. Yeah. I'm getting you there. She said that that moment in the script just made her jaw drop. And she was just mm-hmm. like, I am so thrilled with this writing. No, that it, I, yeah, my jaw dropped as well in the movie theater. I did not think it was going to go there. And then in the final scene where she was like, I thought you were going to be really mad at me. And he's like, my love isn't fragile. Oh, I love that. My love's not fragile. But that also, like, I mean, that's there's a lot of strength in that statement, right? Like, that is. And so one could argue, given strength and what strength means and everything, that there's a lot of masculinity in that statement. So we are seeing Mm Kristoff being very masculine. where He's like, I am so sure of myself that my love is not fragile. Right. Which is kind of funny because, you know, 20 minutes earlier, he was lost in the woods. But at he's point, out of the woods. Like, his love <laughs> wasn't fragile. Like, he, right. he, didn't, he wasn't confused about how he felt about her. Mm, he right. was worried about that if, he, if he was good enough or, mm-hmm. you know, right. if, um, you know, because he is a, a, a person raised by trolls marrying a person. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's a person raised by trolls marrying a girl who was locked into a castle for 10 years. Like, they both have a lot of, you know, different things that they're working on. And it is. It's like the opposite of a Gaston, right? Like, a Gaston's Mm -hmm. love would be very fragile. You know, it's it's, it's like toxic masculinity, you know, thing where where Kristoff is, like, rejecting that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and I can be, and I can admit to being lost in the woods. I can mm-hmm. admit, I can ponder these things. I can worry. 
it's like a good message for boys. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's really important because especially, and I know we all know this, but whenever people say toxic masculinity, there are people who take it to mean all masculinity is toxic. And it's like, no, no, there are representations of masculinity that are very positive. And I would say that Kristoff, he's an excellent representation of positive masculinity. Like what is healthy masculinity in touch with his feelings, hanging out with other dudes who are in touch with their feelings, able to express it. Like those love trolls. Love trolls should be raising us all. I was going to say, maybe we should all be raised by trolls. Because also, and let's not blame blame the love trolls for the fact that Anna and Elsa's dad, like, locked down the castle. They were just like, she has to learn how to handle her powers. And the trolls were, and the dad's like, oh, I guess we can't ever leave. And you're just stuck in your room. It's like that. How did you get from there to there, dad? The more, every time I see that part of the movie of Frozen 1, I get mad because because he didn't have to be that way the whole movie could have been avoided well and that really just brings it all full circle right is right. that it's this annihilation of feeling that is right. that is toxic masculinity or yes, right was part of toxic masculinity and there's that great scene in the first well, it's not great but in the first movie where you know she's putting on her gloves and oh. looking into the portrait of her dad right she's she's presenting herself in this way that um that is very, that is, you know, she's trying to suppress all feelings. And again, and that's why Anna wants to marry Hans is because she, she has, she, nobody will, she has all these feelings and nobody, nobody will, um, nobody reciprocates. Right. Well, and exactly. That's why the brilliance of love is an open door. Like it's not a closed castle. It's not closing down and concealing and covering. It's, opening right opening and and i mean so hans has what 11 brothers something like that he's the youngest of a dozen or something Mm -hmm. and he in love is an open door he talks about his childhood and not really also having love and i mean if we're going to think about royal families you know we always joke the heir and the spare well he's like the 12th spare like by the time he comes along who is raising him? Who is getting him attention? He knows that he's not inheriting anything. And so then that becomes that idea that if you are a prince, but you have nothing to show for that and your entire masculine identity is locked up in this, yeah. but then you're not getting a darn thing. And the only thing you can literally do is then marry a woman where you can, by proxy, have her power, then... Okay, obviously Han should not be, again, like Danica was saying, not going around trying to murder Anna, but he knows that just because of birth order, he will never have this power, and he can't, it's never, he's going to be the Prince Philip of Queen Elizabeth II, right? Like, he's never going to be the king if Anna's alive or if Elsa's alive. Yeah, and a lot of people, like, criticize, like, his, his or the movie for his sort of disjointed character arc. Cause like, when does he turn evil, you know, but I do think you have to take it at face value from what ended up in the movie that he he's evil because he's a murderer. (laughs) And I think that it's almost like as if he, so first he thinks, okay, by proxy, I can gain this power. And then he's like, well, actually these women aren't, they're too, they're too round. They're too full. Mm-hmm. They're too full of, they're too much of a character. 
it's not even by proxy anymore that I can gain this power. It's by murder. You know, right. like I need to just eliminate them. Well, so it gets dark. It does. And so, I mean, if we like, well, I mean, if we do any examination of like settler, settler colonialist history, when a lot of the men who come and do the colonization are second and third sons. Yep. They're not the first son who got the land. So they feel that they are owed something and they come in and they will kill and destroy to get what they feel they are owed. And so if you see Hans in that light of like a settler colonialist, yeah, he's going to kill him if that means he's going to get his power. And it does go with, again, that whole masculine identity of I am owed this, but because of birth order, I'm not getting it. So I'm going to take it. And it, I think there goes my dog again. And I think Hans really kind of shows that. And I'm not sure. Although, you know what, since the second movie, as Danica's friend said, and I say to all my students is about indigenous water rights. Maybe Hans is some sort of settler colonialist, like reinterpretation of the princes. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I definitely can see how, when we think about toxic masculinity as a type of, um, uh, uh, powerlessness when faced when 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 you grow up in a patriarchy that that is going to um, that tells you that you actually have a ton of power right mm -hmm. so toxic masculinity in, in uh, um, you know manifests in these ways of 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 making uh, other people powerless right, right? Um, mm -hmm. diminishing yeah. Uh, so I think that there's a certainly, a, you know, for sure, some, some really some validity, validity to that. Yes. Um, so then, so then from there, because what sparked this whole conversation before, right, is that um, is with Rhea and yeah. the the masculine figures we see in yes. in in that movie. Yeah. Um, so my son, that's his favorite movie of all time. He's like, this oh. is the greatest movie I've ever seen. He's <laughs> just I, like he can't. He, he and um, and look at all the like we have a you know probably more men in this in this in this film um, with you know speaking roles and and talking and doing their thing mm -hmm. and um, and yet we have zero love interests um, right. and we actually all of the sort of power grabs, none of them are from the men or yes. that, I, that I can think of. Yeah. So why don't we like just talk about some of the, the male figures in this, in this film? Like uh, to begin with, like we have the father, the father. who yeah. is like, I'm going to invite everybody over and make <laughs> them soup. <laughs> and, you know, and Ray is like sharpening her sword. She's like, let's do this. She's like, bring it, uh, you know, other, other uh, clans. And uh, he's like, no, 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 no. Yes. We're going to look at this as, and then you put a little like onion in it and it's good. <laughs> so we get like a cooking lesson from yes. him. Um, <laughs> the best. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. Uh, and, and she basically goes on her journey to, to, to bring him back to avenge him. Right. Yes. Um, but the reason that it works is because she actually fulfills what he wants right exactly. which is to, to bring mm -hmm. communities together mm -hmm. so so what were some of the other characters in that in that film? And, I, and i just want to add that and he's not depicted as being not masculine either like he's right. a really fear in the opening right. scene 
he's a fierce warrior. Like he's training her to be a warrior, but he's also training her to want, you know, diplomacy and peace and all of these things. So he is kind of like, we have prepared for this. This is our job. However, I would hope to never have to use these skills. Exactly. And it's it's like the difference between like Cobra Kai and like Mr. Miyagi. Like it's like (laughs) Cobra Kai just wanted to toxic masculinity, everything. And then Mr. Miyagi is like, no, it's peace. That's that's fine. It's okay to Mm -hmm. be a karate master and be peaceful. Right. Right. Those things are not not two different things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's part of it. Right. And then um, there's the guy, the warrior guy who joins their little like pseudo family group that heads out um, from, I think, Fang. Is that the one that he is from? But he's, you know, he looks like this big, it's kind of the tangled thing, right? He looks like this big, tough, scary warrior. And I'm sure he is incredibly, again, physically tough. And probably if I had to go up against, yes, that would be very scary. But, you know, echoing the I've got a dream song, mm-hmm. it's really that his his baby, his wife and baby, as we find out at the end, are gone. Like yeah. he he has lost his whole community. He's the last one and the one that most hurts him. And he becomes he's the paternal figure who takes care of the baby. Mm-hmm. He's like like bad baby, con baby, not bad baby. Con baby, he's the one and at the end when and I said I think when we discussed the movie, because it really moved me that he picked up con baby so she would not have to go through the whole thing by herself and I was like what like that was such a dad move and such a positive dad move and I'm or parental move and that's the thing I there's no like oh that's such a mom thing for him to do or even I guess a dad thing but it was just like that's such a parent thing to be like I'm gonna pick up this little baby so she doesn't have to to have this alone we're gonna do this together and he's the one who finds out her name like he does all these things where you're just like That's such a great representation of a parent. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm looking up the dude's name because I do, I love him. Mm -hmm. He's um, doing that too. Okay. So we're both Googling (laughs) Ryan, Um, the last dragon together. Um, And I mean, the little boy is also very sweet. And again, he's a cook, right? He can both sail the boat by himself, Mm -hmm, which is hardcore tough. He has survived by himself and has stayed on that boat to stay away from the Droon while his family is gone. He misses his big sister who picks on him and he cooks, right? So we have very multi-dimensional characters that could be seen as having both masculine and feminine traits. Exactly. And it makes them stronger. Yeah. Tong. Tong is our man, our our paternal family man. Oh my God. I I love, and and I love him holding the baby and doing all those things because a lot of times, um, you know, you'll read about people who don't want boys. And notice I say read about because I'm like, I don't really know these people. But you'll read about people who don't want boys taking care of baby dolls. And other people will point out like, well, if the, ch- if the child grows up and, and becomes a father or a parent, they, they should, you know, there's not that's part of that whole idea. But so it's this idea that you have this incredibly um, traditionally masculine man who's taken care of the baby. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that's such great representation of what that means. And I kind of, I'm jealous of my kids that that representation is becoming very normal for them. Because one of the reasons I'm talking about it is because that was not the representation I would have seen in 
anything growing. I'm trying, like, I'm looking, thinking back to all the different movies. And you, I mean, you have the Mandalorian, right? Who's taking care of the child? It's the Mandalorian. Like, we have all these things now where it's like, well, of course a man would be able to take care of a baby and would care about the baby. And I'm like, that is so far <laughs> from what we, we experienced. Like, Never. the whole point of, of who's the boss, or yeah, who's the boss and Charles in charge, was that it was totally upending these gender norms, and that's why it's funny. Funny, right. right? That was the joke. I'll never forget when John's aunts came over um, when Livy was like three months old and John was just like feeding her and changing her and whatever. And, and they were like, you are doing so much. I am so proud of you. You're doing so much for a man. And I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, just, you're like just putting like lanolin on your nipples like every five minutes. You're like, oh, yeah, I know he's a. Roll out I mean, my aunt did that as well. My Tyler was giving Maisie a bath or something. And, and my aunt was like, oh, my God, you are such an involved aunt. And Tyler tried to I can't wait until Tyler listens to this episode, because first uh, when he was listening to our, our first episode that came out, he was like, what is wife of one? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, it's so funny. Anyway, um, so I can't wait till he listens to this one. But to do with equitable childcare and all of that. And he was like, well, a lot of people think I'm a really active, involved dad, you know, saying that I didn't. And um, your your aunt has even told me that I am. And my response, which is my response to many things is, if the bar is dirt, it's not <laughs> impressive to be above the bar. But I feel like I am so fun to be married to. <laughs> she was wife of one. <laughs> I can't believe I'm here. But um, but it's because when we were, yeah, compared to representations when we were little, like that that was not there. And Tyler's dad was actually actually an incredibly involved father, which so he is, especially now that our girls are big, he does a lot of stuff where I'm like, you're spoiling them because mm, I'm not doing that. Because that's how his dad took care of them too. Like his parents actually did have a lot of equitable division, but not so much with the babies. But of course he's also the baby. So he never experienced that. And he was like, why would you do these things? But anyway, um, so now they're Tyler. I hope you feel better. But those do sound like choices and not responsibilities. That, you mm, made. So that is, oh, that is, oh, that is a good, that is a good statement that you can opt in or opt right. out, whereas I'm just in. But it is, it's that idea that, but in our society that people can opt in or opt out, and yet the dad in that movie is just like, I'm here. Uh, there's no opting in or yeah. opting out. And that was the other thing with, with Raya, her mom is dead, but she's not being raised, as far as we could tell, by like a nanny, right? This isn't one of those things right. where she's right. got, she, we don't even ever see a maternal mother figure, nor do we see her trying to bring back a maternal mother figure. She has been raised by her father, mm -hmm. who again is incorporating what would be yes. traditionally feminine and masculine characteristics. And, you know, he's also incredibly attractive because he's Daniel Day Kim. So there's like a whole lot of things to unpack there. Not bad. <laughs> oh. 
Oh, Daniel Day Kim. Tyler's going to be like, what the hell? We just went from bashing me to you being like, Daniel Day Kim is attractive in like three this months. One, just, yeah, just tell him to skip this episode. This is not, not his episode. But oh. yeah, like Chief Benja, I also think it's so interesting that he's like just comfortably the chief of the heart. Like they're the heart land, I guess, of of the dragon and that feels, you know, intentional, you know, and it's such a contrast to like yeah. Maui who like steals the heart from Tempiti, you know, and then we have chief Benja like cooking soup and, and, and being a warrior and a, a defender and a guardian. And, and um, yeah, you really, you really, and I think, I don't even think Raya understands why she loves him so much. Cause she gets it all jumbled in her head. Like she just wants to avenge him and, and in that that yeah. feeling of of wanting to avenge, she's like kind of forgetting what he stands for until until the end when she makes it happen finally. And and then Tong is I just looked this up. He's in the spine. That's mm. the, the spine. The guardian of the spine, um, oh. which I think is interesting. Like this, mm. he's like another tongue in cheek or, or you know masculine image is like backbone or, or spine mm-hmm. or whatever but he's he, he rounds that out and and be, is also you know that that's that bassinet is just killer oh my God. and tong reminds me so much of the i had a dream guys in the biker bar <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just like you yeah. it's this tough guy that like actually is like a real softy but he's got a backbone you know oh, like yeah. you know right. i mean he's still got that axe like don't mess with him. And I think so to bring in Maui, because we haven't really discussed him and I might have told you both, but the first time, and I didn't get to see Moana in the theater. So the first time I was watching Moana, when we got to the thank you song, I turned off the movie. I was like, I can't, I can't with like a man coming along and being like, Oh, Oh no, not thank you though. You're welcome song. I was like, no, notice in my head, I call it the thank you song, but I'm like, you're welcome song. I'm like, no, no, I'm not dealing with this. Like I, I can't, even if he eventually gets better. But I do think that Maui is a really good example because right, he's abandoned as we later on find out by his human parents, right? right? And he always kind of carries that. And I think he's got kind of, he's very childlike in that way mm-hmm. where he, and through no fault of his own, because of that, he's kind of been stunted. And so when he goes to take that heart, we are to understand that's like, you know, it's a, well, Okay, so in my mind, I'm like, that's a very childish, immature action where it's like, I want it, it's going to do these things, I'm going to take it, partially because he's been stunted. So I guess now I'm like a Maui apologist, but he's been stunted and he's doing these things, but he's also this incredibly large demigod warrior mask. He's the rock. Like, again, he's this visual presentation of like supreme masculinity and he knows how to sail and he needs to do all these things. And he's still got the jerky thing. And so we do still have that evolution kind of like with um, Flynn Rider and Naveen where they have to become full circle, but without the love interest aspect, right? Like we don't have to deal with that at all. But there is this idea where I think Maui, because Flynn Rider is also an orphan, right? He gives himself that name in the orphanage. And so, so is Christoph. And so is Christoph. So we have like this vulnerability, which impacts these masculine identities in these different ways where Mm -hmm. Flynn kind of really goes with the performative masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Kristoff 
raised by the love trolls. Doesn't seem to have to do performative masculinity, even though he's an ice cutter. So he's, again, very strong. So we have these very physically representations of of masculine, like, power. Um, But then we know that emotionally they're still working things out. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and he does have that moment, right, where he's like, I'm nothing without my hook. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, (laughs) that's like, that's like encapsulating, like masculine you know mm-hmm. kind of a, a Ahab right exactly <laughs> had their leg <laughs> <laughs> my missing leg <laughs> yes exactly. leg. Um, <laughs> um and also i think conversely of like you know obviously the best character in in moana is the crab yes fabulous murderous <laughs> Who, you know, who wears all the things he steals? Yeah, right. Yes. And and then this, and so it's like the sort of you know the the converse of what mm-hmm. of what um is that a word? Why can't we? Like, I don't. I I've given up on words today. We're no longer <laughs> wordsing. Wordsing is over. The, that's um, the opposite. <laughs> of, of, um, and, of and the crab is masculine too, right? And the crab is shiny, so. It's like, yeah, I can be fabulous and a masculine murdering crab. I can, the crab contains multitudes. (laughs) But you know what also, and I mean, this could speak to a lot of things, especially if if we go into the whole idea of non-patriarchal Western culture, which is what a lot of Disney movies, because they're based on European fairy tales are through, but in Moana and then in, in Raya, neither dad is like you're a girl you can't do this right like and it's not that the father doesn't want her to be a voyager because she's a girl it's because he has a tragic backstory with him and his best friend and so i do think it's those are again i'm jealous of those representations in movies now that my kids are getting to have because there's never that question of like you have to prove that because you're a girl you you can do this which is the whole Captain Marvel thing, right? She has to prove that because she's a girl, she can do this. But in these movies instead, it's just like taken as like, okay, yeah, you're, you're that person. And now you need to go do this. And your, your gender doesn't impact your ability to do that. Right. I mean, we were excited that Belle got to read books. <laughs> you know, we were just like, yeah, marry this, like, this guy who's like a, a, a beast, I guess. And, <laughs> Like, you know, everything is really messed up. Are you going to library? library. That just seemed pretty, like, that, that was, that was, you know, a, a real moment. The bar, I guess the bar was dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Our bar was dirt. Like, really? I mean, dirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> what we were doing? We were watching 90210. <laughs> like, right? Like. We did not have very good bars on what what any of these things were. So thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Symposia Disney as we were discussing masculinity. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. So if you would like, as well as on our Podbean website, and of course, if you would like to kind of carry on the conversation, you can come and find us on those social media accounts. We would love to hear from you. And if you want to leave us any five-star reviews, this is Liz. 
Liza. And Danica.